0: when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. You doing all right? I'm super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Oh man, doing great. Doing great. All right. Well, we got a we got a fun show uh, lined up for tonight, Stephen. This is your fave. We're doing a grab bag. So just yep, for, yep. just for you. Happy Friday to you, my friend. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it basically put it this way:
0: if if you don't like what we're talking about, give us a few seconds. We'll we'll be on to the next thing.
1: And, yeah,
0: and- I mean, we basically have three topics plus other geek, uh, but they they have no discernible um, theme. And when I say no discernible theme, I mean there is no theme whatsoever holding these topics together. They're just hey, we've they're, been they're, doing
1: this while, a while. We're going to find a way to segue these. I promise
0: you, it will come. It'll 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 fall into place. It always does. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I I I uh, like your optimism on that, and I at the same time accept the challenge uh, to to making <laughs> that happen. But 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 our first story. This is this is two related stories. This is really cool if it happened. Right. Kind of one one of those. Um, you know, file it under um, cold fusion, I guess. Uh, but the, the the initial story that had me very excited late last week, hydrogen turned into metal in stunning act of alchemy that could revolutionize technology in spaceflight. So wow. here's the thing, okay? In a lab, scientists were using these very tiny, they're calling them anvils. I think of them more as vices, Right but they 're compressing hydrogen, compressing 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 hydrogen, and have managed at you know basically at room temperature to create hydrogen metal now we know we know uh, metallic hydrogen exists it 's out there in the universe we don 't have it on earth it 's not a thing that uh, you know the prevailing conditions on earth have made possible for it uh, for it to be produced so it 's something that we 've been hoping using exotic conditions in a lab at some point we might be able to Reproduce and uh, take those conditions, make them less exotic, and at some point, actually produce hydrogen metal. Hydrogen metal would be one of the most useful things that you can that you can imagine. It would be a, a superconductor. They, they talk about applications for this. You know, it, 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 room imagine room temperature superconductor. Right. Room temperature superconductor. Imagine um, a power grid where you could where you could send where you could send power across the U.S. and have no loss of power. Right. That's, that's the level of, of superconductive uh, capability that you would have with, with hydrogen metal. They talk about uh, do, being able to do an MRI scan without having to have the, the magnets super cooled. So that big complicated MRI machine that you see would become much simpler, uh, much easier to, to deal with machine. Um, spacecraft would be completely different. Rockets would be completely different. You know, A, a lot of the things that we currently do with metal – that are hard to do because metal is heavy. Even something like aluminum, this would be lighter. This would be stronger. It's more durable. It's, it's, you know, it's like magic sci-fi sp- space metal. I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to even describe how awesome metallic hydrogen would be if we could, if we could throw it into everyday use. And let's call it un- unobtainium. You know, like Avatar. <laughs> it, it's, uh, yeah, just about the old, you know. Um, unobtainium yeah it's, it's it doesn't make you fly but other than that um you know they they talk about super fast computers high-speed levitating trains ultra-efficient vehicles it's the stuff okay this is you know reardon metal from atlas shrugged okay it's just you know it's it's the, it's the yeah it's the wonder <laughs> it's, metal yeah and uh it's the macguffin in our sci-fi
1: uh in our sci-fi future right well well how do we how do we go about getting it phil it's it, is they're talking about using this is a diamondoid m- molecular diamondoid vice, basically right. is how they
0: say they did it but uh there's some doubt about it right
1: i mean as to whether they actually accomplished that or if they did something else
0: yeah that's uh, the, i mean that's the big problem with this story as as awesome as this story is uh the 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 big problem is um other scientists have looked at the research and they've said, well, we're not sure that they've isolated uh, metal hydrogen. Um, the conclusion that they that they did make metal out of it is based on the shininess of what was compressed in the anvil. It's like, hey, that hydrogen is shining, therefore it's metal. Well, okay, you know, that's a vast oversimplification of what the research says, but that's basically what they're saying. Um, and other scientists are looking at it, they're going, well, you know, those vices, they they touch a lot of other things. That could just be aluminum oxide that they're seeing shining there. And uh, some of the other critiques say that there are numerous other opportunities for false positives. And Occam's razor requires us, when we look at something like this, to say, well, extraordinary claims right. you know, are going to r- require some extraordinary evidence. They've got a little bit of evidence that they've isolated metal hydrogen, and I want them to keep working on it and, and show us more evidence. But at this point, it, it seems entirely possible that they may have jumped the gun in publishing their results, unfortunately. That's the, the, the bummer. Well, apparently this metallic hydrogen is,
1: um, is, is like one of the most abundant metals in the solar system. Is that right?
0: It's out there, you know, if only, yep. uh, if only right? Uh, yeah, in fact, there, one of the comments... Um, uh, on the story talking about uh, the fact that it's not been debunked, but it's been highly questioned. It's been highly criticized. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe the most abundant metal to be found in the solar system. And that's pretty interesting when you think about, you know, we know we've been talking about all these other metals that are out there in the asteroid belt and that sit at the, you know, at the core of some of these other planets and, you know, all the metals that are on this planet. Uh, but the problem is getting to it. Um, Jupiter and Saturn, according to this commenter, and you know I, I didn't do my research and see if they're correct, but it but, um, says that uh, if you go a few Earth diameters down into Jupiter and Saturn, um, you're going to find unimaginable pressure, uh, far, far higher pressure than what that uh, diamond anvil is able to create, and those are the conditions that uh, would create metallic hydrogen, and that's where you would find it. You would find it in the... Uh, uh, in, in the atmospheres of those planets. And even if that's not true, even if this uh, commenter has it, uh, has it wrong, we, we definitely know that space is, you know, out in space, um, when you think about neutron stars, when you think about black holes, when you, know, when you think about these gas giant planets, these, these huge structures that create tremendous gravity and can create tremendous pressure, that is ultimately the technology if you want to call it a technology, that is ultimately the, uh, the environment that could produce something like this. So if we're, if we're not able to build an, you know, a diamond anvil on Earth today that can do it, um, I think we have to look to the stars, right? We have to look to space to get the inspiration for the technology that ultimately will do it. And maybe we actually have to go out there and make use of that quote-unquote, technology before we're ever going to realize uh, hydrogen metal. We'll see. Um, well, I, again, I wish, I wish these guys all the luck in the world. I hope that they actually have done it and that uh, it turns out that we do find a way to, to produce the stuff here on Earth. But even if we don't, I guess this is kind of the silver lining to the story. Even if we never figure out a way to make it on Earth, it's out there, and all we've got to do is go get it.
1: I, I suspect we we will figure out ways of doing it on earth and uh if we haven't already and uh uh it you know might it might require something exotic like uh you know uh we've got a super collider that makes uh, uh, uh miniature black holes that last a like a, a microsecond right right What if uh what if we were able to uh do something with with that technology to uh to produce uh metallic hydrogen who knows there there's you know um it, it, these uh, these miniature black holes are so small maybe they don't have the mass to to have the kind of pressure we're talking about but hey i'm just throwing, I'm just spitballing here well so, the thing uh, is
0: the thing is there there are uh, there there are always unanticipated problems you know to any new technology that is developed and there are also unanticipated potential applications you know there's there's always something unexpected lying around Lying around the corner for for anything that uh, anything that we do, there's, there's there's always a there's always a surprise out there. So yeah, it's it's entirely possible that that something we're already doing now in a completely different field could hold the key to, to figuring out how to how to make this happen if we if we haven't uh, if we haven't done so already. And hey, speaking of unexpected results, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did what I could there. Um, yeah. How about this headline? Um, for for those of you who've been trying to fight inflammation, you've been saying, "Well, I'm not going to eat the X because that's you know that's an infl- eat peanuts. It's it's just going to you know that's an inflammatory food and it's going to inflame me. And we we all know the the bad side to inflammation. The headline is every meal triggers inflammation. So, yep. dang! I mean, now what? Right here here I've been worried. Well, if I eat Flour, right? If I eat wheat, that's definitely inflammatory. I, I, I mean, I kind of, you know, I got a pretty good running list of foods that I know are inflammatory for me, anyway. And if you if you read up on this, you can see the things that are generally inflammatory for people. But this kind of th- this kind of really, uh, I don't know. This sets us back to square one on the whole inflammation issue, doesn't it, or, or does it? Well,
1: what do you what uh, do you I make think of I think there's some foods that are obviously more inflammatory than others. So, uh, your list is probably still a good list, Phil. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, this sort of says, Hey, you know what, every time you eat, it's, uh, it's going to have inflammation and, and it gives a reason for that. When you eat, you're not, you know, you're taking in, I mean, a boatload of bacteria. I mean, you're, you're um, the, our environment is where we don't live in clean rooms, you know, right. we, we don't. And so, um, you know, you're, you're taking in huge amounts of bacteria, and so your your body basically is fighting off infection with every single meal you eat, right? Because it just has to. Otherwise, uh, you you know you you would die of some infection from you know any time you ate something. But uh, so so um, what can be done about it? Well, you can you could probably limit uh, your the amount of infl- inflammation with uh, with. With dietary modification, there's, you know, again, some things are going to be more inflammatory than others, but, uh, you know, hey, this might, um, uh, you know, uh, be a good argument for periodic fasting. Hmm. Just giving your body, you know, I mean, you know, what if you had one day a week that you ate very little or, or maybe not, not at all, one day a week, gives your uh, gives your body a little bit of recovery, you know. That's, that that might there, there might be a uh, you know there, there are people that have
0: advocated for that
1: for years and years and um, and maybe maybe here's a here's a good reason for it
0: well i I practice intermittent fasting uh, periodically I, I actually do that fairly regularly and that's not a whole day but it's usually uh, 16 eighteen hours and I'll do it two or three two or three times a week and you definitely you can feel a whole day host of physiological things it does to your system i mean it, it, it you really feel different if you if you do that if you if you build in a, a a break from from digesting food but yeah i think this sort of provides a big part of the answer of you know why that why that works and i think i think it really helps us to kind of clarify our thinking around inflammation you know where where before You know, you might look at it in a very, very simplistic way and say, "Well, inflammation bad, therefore I won't eat uh, inflammatory food because I I don't want, you know, I don't want this response in my body." True, but more to the point, this response is always going to happen. This, this response is your, is your uh, immune system at work, and it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing up to a point. It's something that you're. That your body has to do, but yeah, um, it's like you take the time off for meeting, which our ancestors did. You know, not by choice, but because um, it was, you know, kind of like, well, there's no food now, so I'll eat again tomorrow. Um, You you, you take the time off for meeting, and that gives your immune system the chance to get the upper hand in the situation. Uh, It's like, well, we've dealt with that bacteria, now we're just going to chill out for a while, right? Um, Yeah. and, um, rather than, Oh, here, let me, you know, flame on again. Well, here, let me flame on again. Right. It's like, uh, you, y- you, kind of stay in this constant state of inflammation or this, this constant state of having to, uh, to, to re-trigger the response. And, you know, it's, it's like, um, and, and
1: it, uh, you know, it gets, you get far enough down that road, you end up with gut leakage and all kinds of problems. And, uh, Perhaps uh, just uh, you know periodic fasting could be one uh, one way of dealing uh, you know heading that off perhaps yeah you know, so.
0: well my my I, weird I analogy for I this, this it, I don't know did you see the uh, NFC championship game last week Atlanta I did against not. Green Bay I
1: did
0: not. Um, the the thing they talked about was you know the the uh, Falcons had the Green Bay defense on the field for so long they just they couldn't deal anymore right I mean it's like the defense was exhausted and that's kind of yeah. what we do to our bodies right i mean it's like we just you know it, it's the offense needed to make something happen just so the defense could sit and rest for a while right and and kind of
1: and recover yeah
0: and, and recover if you if you take some time off um you you know you you make that happen your 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 body goes into defensive mode after you eat but it wasn't meant to maybe it wasn't meant to always be in defensive mode maybe you know you want to go on offense once in a while and uh and do and do other things
1: (laughs) i i just know that uh on those times that i do fast when you sit down to break that fast right i mean when you uh uh and you have your your meal following that period of time it's you know it's like a molecular dance i mean it's like your whole body is just i mean the pleasure of that meal is intense you know i mean because you know it's it's your body saying okay yeah i can enjoy this meal I'm, i'm i'm fully ready for it and uh um i i think there's something to that i, I we don't often talk you know <laughs>
0: about dietary practices uh, you know but
1: uh i, I think there's so, something to that absolutely
0: yeah i think i think so i think you know i think that um in in the in the long run we you know we we, we can learn a lot about how our bodies work um, at a very micro level um through some big macro Practices, and and, I mean, we we haven't learned the specifics. People were doing intermittent fasting, and people have been fasting for thousands of years, right? Um, Right. Before there was any, you know, viable theories of nutrition or or any of that kind of stuff, people have been fasting, and they've been understanding uh, the uh, the impact that that it has on our bodies. Um, But it's but it's interesting. We look at uh, you know these very refined biochemical processes. That we're understanding to greater and greater detail, you know, um, that the the triggers for those can, you know, can be these very large macro processes, you know, eating, not eating, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> binary decisions that uh, that ultimately reflect all the way down into the, uh, you know, into the most intricate details of of, of what's happening in our uh, in our bodies. It's, it's it's really quite interesting, and I, and I think we'll see um we'll see lots more of examples of this as because we understand this better we're, we're, we're as as with so many other things we're only kind of at the very beginning of, of understanding um how this all really works this next one's like a complete
1: surprise to me phil this next story um scientists find evidence of mathematical structures in classic books now you know we talk about. Uh, we, we sometimes the technology uh, uh, shows up before we figure out the application. <laughs> Who would have uh, suspected this as an application for you know d- you know data mining, right? I mean uh, yeah. But here the academics they put more than a hundred works of uh, world literature from people like Dickens, Shakespeare, Alexander Dumas, uh, and Thomas Mann, et cetera, et cetera. Samuel Beckett. And they've put it through uh, statistical analysis and looking at sentence lengths and how they varied. Uh, they found that an over- overwhelming majority of the studied texts, uh, the correlations and variations of sentence length, were governed by the dynamics of a cascade. Perhaps we, you know, uh, what does
0: that mean, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah uh, the bottom uh, line is these books are these novels are fractals. Um, and and the uh, the the uh, what's the term they use? They're self-similar. Okay. So in fact, the the way the sentences are structured, um, if you follow the pattern by sentence length, are reflective of the book itself overall, right? In the so same a, way that you like
1: could, you could take a paragraph of you know Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, perhaps and the flow and structure of that paragraph it would be similar to the flow and structure of the uh, of of the entire of novel. the book
0: overall that's right yeah amazing amazing <laughs> it's 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 like wow and what's really interesting is the one that demonstrates the model best is James Joyce Finnegans Wake which is this as far as i'm concerned incomprehensible inscrutable novel um and you would think that there is no structure to that whatsoever, if you've ever read it. Um, and instead, it turns out that's, it's, it's almost a perfect fractal. Um, to me, this says something really interesting about the whole creative process. It says something very interesting about how our brains work um, and what it is I, that
1: we I guarantee you these guys, when they sat down to write, weren't thinking about how do I make the most beautiful fractal. Right, but you know there is there is a point in the story when you when you you're in, are are something when there there just comes a point it's time to finish it. Okay, we're yeah. I, you know I, there's there's a beginning, middle, and an end. And have you ever read a novel where you realized you know you're that the the novel should have ended like four chapters ago? Right, know? right. And they should have you know. And this thing has gone on way too long. And you know we've I've got about. Uh, a, a three chapter- ech- epilogue that does you know doesn't really relate to the story as a whole maybe maybe it's our brains uh you know just sort of saying this you know the fractal is lost we've uh, the the pattern uh, that's been set in the uh throughout the novel is, is has been broken by you know more more that should have been you know it, 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 more than what should have been here you know has been, right. been added to the novel at the end
0: but it's a, you know i i think that's fascinating. And, and is, I think it, it, it might be – that could be we, – we think there's all this stylistic stuff, but it could be why we recognize uh, when a book has been you know, written by a collaborator or when they're switching back and forth between two different authors because yeah. it might be hard for two people to get into that groove, right, and to produce something that has that, uh, that, that structure because I, I can't help but picture this as kind of the product of a, a single brain, Right? right that you you let one brain write and and you know it's it's going to ultimately reflect it, that
1: it might be a might be a marker of you know what we consider great literature too i mean yeah. uh, you know it might it might very well be that charles dickens uh exhibits this and uh you know the a harlequin romance doesn't you know i you know it i would like to see how I'd like to see the same analysis for you know what we would consider junk literature, right? uh, And and see if uh, and see if uh, something that comes out would be different.
0: Man, why yeah. you gotta go trash talking about the Harlequin romances, huh? What, is one of those, <laughs> <laughs>
1: what have they ever done to well, you? I, you? I, I keep, I, I keep, uh, you know,
0: I keep asking you to, you know, up your, up your game, reading. reading, reading.
1: <laughs> you are such an elitist!
0: I can't believe it. It's just, it's, it's killing me here. Uh, no, I, I, I actually, I, I think that would be that that would be interesting because they did look at great literature, and it would be interesting right. if they would look at not great literature, right? You know, throw in some. Right. Uh, Throwing some old pulp novels, throwing some Harlequin romances, pot boilers, and yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if those are good fractals too. Um, They might be because they, they, you know, they tend to follow a, a formula, right? We know that at a macro level they follow a formula. It'd be interesting to see if the writing, if the structure, uh, you know, kind of the mathematical structure also follows that formula. That's uh, a, hey. If if the people who did this research are listening, here's some follow up research for you. Stephen and I would be in. Yeah. Throw in the we, junk and see see what that see how that comes out. Right? Yeah. Still see see what that in. see what that shows. But I think ultimately it says something really interesting about how our brains work. Um, and 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 it just goes to show you that one of the reasons that things like fractals appeal to us so much is because they show us something that intuitively structurally we recognize about ourselves and, you know, it just shows that we're part of this whole mathematical universe that we live in, that we're, we really are denizens of that world. And on that note of being denizens of a mathematical universe, I think it's time to geek out a little bit even further. <laughs> um, so, Stephen, hey, let's do another Timothy update. You gave us a, you gave us a, a, a great uh, uh, update on what's going on with him with the ballooning and so forth last week. Uh, I think I think there have been developments. What's going on? There there have been.
1: Well, let me first brag on him by saying that uh he was involved in a group project that uh he he uh uh, uh carried uh the heavy load on and uh basically what they were trying to do was uh they were building a robot to um, monitor the and uh and in real time deal with the salinity of a saltwater fish tank. Okay and so that if uh if something got too salty it would deal with it or if it wasn't salty enough it would deal with it so as to keep a you know a nice ocean like environment for saltwater fish in a, in, a, in a tank and uh he wrote the code he built the he built the robot and uh he got an A so i, I wanted to first brag on, as a dad i want to brag on him before i, I, I talk about this next story good work timothy uh, we're proud of you good work timothy okay. awesome and uh he's you know we got him at the right school. Let's put it that way. He's uh, he got a good match. He's that's he's a he's a STEM guy, at a STEM school. So anyway, <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. Um, on Saturday uh, of you know late last week on Saturday they uh, he and and a group uh, attempted to launch a high altitude uh, uh, balloon, a weather balloon, and uh, unfortunately, and they're not quite sure how it happened either. The uh, the Electronics package uh, was failed to you know the, failed to be attached properly to the uh, radio, or it was not transmitting properly before they launched. But I mean, literally, you know, the, the balloon's still in sight going up, and they realized they had a problem. They're not no. getting telemetry back, and you know, there goes their electronics package, and bye-bye. You know. Oh no. And so you know they're 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 going back to the drawing board, saying okay, uh, you know. My thought, to t- you know, and when I was visiting with Timothy about it, I said, "Well, you know, make sure you got good telemetry on the ground." You know, I mean, it, right. Is your machine talking to your computer right there on the ground? Well, yeah, okay, let's launch. Um, but uh, you know, you, you don't wait until you know you are launched to find out if you if you if you're talking with it. Um, at any rate, uh, it, you know, that's just a little a armchair thing. quarterbacking there, huh, Dad? Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little Monday yeah. morning quarterbacking. I, I but. Uh, I think there may be something to my uh, my. <laughs> yeah, I think now. you but could be onto something there. Yeah. Yeah, I might be. Uh, but uh, I I wish them well. They're going to try again uh, this coming Saturday. And of course, here's what they're attempting to do. Tim- Timothy and and one other guy um, at the school went and got their ham radio license. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, the the point of which is to be able to communicate with uh, first these uh, high altitude balloons and to be able to monitor them and you know do. Uh, you monitor them in flight and, and get back telemetry from them over the ham radio network, right? I mean, right. Ham, ham ham radio frequencies. And then to be able to recover it at where it comes down. Um, but uh, the ultimate goal is uh, to be communicating the same way uh, with, uh, with CubeSats. And uh, tech is going to be putting up a CubeSat, um, uh, you know, within a year or two. And uh, that you know they need people on flight and being able to monitor it as it passes over. And uh, and Timothy will be a big part of that. He is one of two that has you know the requisite licensing to do it. So um, I I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited for him. He's uh, man mission
0: control. That mission is super control. exciting. Yeah. Well keep us keep us posted on uh, the the you know hopefully they get the balloon going uh, successfully next time. And 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 Timothy's. Uh, Long journey here towards becoming the mission control guy. Can't wait to uh, yeah. can't wait to hear more about that. That's exciting. <laughs> Timothy was uh, going, oh the helium. Oh, I can't believe we lost that. You know. <laughs> uh, <it's laughs> pricey helium yeah absolutely the helium alone makes it uh, that's probably the most expensive (laughs) component of the whole thing actually yeah more so than
1: the electronics amazingly so yeah it's um, (laughs) I I wish them well and uh, and hope they have better success uh, you know in the coming week or two
0: all right well keep us posted on that our final our final other geek, uh, NASA's new astronaut suits are straight out of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Hey, follow the link, folks, and you will see that we're not kidding. These look a lot like the 2001: A Space Odyssey suits. and it's just you know what? It's just good when when life imitates uh, favorite science fiction movies. You know, it's it's cool when they build a space shuttle and call it the Challenger, and it's cool when. Uh, uh, when we see spacesuits that look like the ones that we saw when we were kids in the movies, it's—I uh, I don't know—something very comforting about that, and it's—it's it's the thing that makes me know that eventually I'll have the flying car and the Mister Fusion from Back to the Future, right? Because it's just, it just—it takes well, you know, a while, the, but ultimately we get it.
1: The, the first spacesuits, the—you know—you have to have a pressure. You know, our our, our bodies, you know, are pressing outward. Fourteen point seven pounds per square inch, because that's, you know, at sea level, that's, uh, we, we get 14.7 pounds of pressure pushing in on us. So right. our bodies are, are made to push out 14.7 pounds of pressure. And so, uh, unfortunately that's, you know, in, in space, there is no pressure on you. So the early spacesuits would accomplish this by basically being a balloon, right? Pressing in with the amount of pressure you need. But uh, you know uh, astronauts would talk about how exhausting it was to move in that thing because every movement you were basically having to bend that balloon right
0: right you were, right. you were
1: fighting against the balloon with every movement you make uh these new these new suits apparently provide the pressure you need but are are built much more compact and uh and 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 I would imagine you'd you you don't have to fight it quite so much um. Be able to move in space,
0: and so uh, yeah, yeah. Probably they looked that way in the movie because uh, it just you know from some costume designers it looked better for them to be more streamlined and not so bulky and not to look like the spacesuits of the day. Um, But you know, function has followed form in this case, and uh, we've actually caught up to uh, spacesuits that look cooler because, as you point out, um, they're just they're a little bit better engineered. They're able to solve. They're able to solve certain problems and it is better to walk around in something that's more like clothes uh than <laughs> walking around in a balloon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so but uh also, net result, you know, it looks more like the movies and I think that's what uh that's that's what makes me very happy about this story.
1: <laughs>
0: well, this has been fun this week, Phil. We've had a great one. Well, we've had a we've had a great week. It's been great talking with you. We're gonna be back on Monday with three brand new shows Uh, we look forward to talking with you then and until next time live to see it